Good morning. As you see in the, uh, in the bulletin there, the, the title for today's sermon uh, is Joy in the Journey. And uh, so I thought yesterday uh, I would experience a little joy in my life and, and get out and play a little golf. We made the, we decided we were going to play yesterday. We didn't realize it was going to rain uh, 42 inches uh, between, <laughs> between Wednesday and, and I think 40 of those inches were yesterday morning. So, uh, but still we got out, the, the heavens opened and we were able to play, get a little golf uh, in, and I proceeded to play the first six holes, uh, double bogeying every single hole. So, like I said, this was an a exercise in joy. And, and so, uh, as we were coming off, you know, because it really is, it's hard, to, it's hard to par a golf hole when you start out with a, uh, when you have a penalty stroke on every hole. Uh, and so, it's really hard to play golf that way. But as we were coming off the sixth green, uh, my brother asked me, he said, you know, trying to create conversation, because I, I can run a little hot uh, on the golf course, uh, not just because it's 90 degrees, but because it's, I, got, I got a temper at times. So, um, <laughs> yeah. that was my brother, uh, by the way. Um, so, as we're coming off the uh, sixth green to create some conversation and to distract me a little bit, my brother goes, so, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I thought about it, I went, huh, kind of chuckled and went, I'm preaching on joy. Um, he said, well, good, that works out. Um, but then there's hope, because after the trial of the first six holes, I then went the next three holes and made a birdie on those three holes, on the last three holes of that night. So, yeah, absolutely. Golf clap, everyone. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but... Uh, Yes, we all go through trials. Uh, we we are all uh, have been there, uh, and we're all we all can uh, relate to each other because if you're not currently in a trial, uh, you've probably just gone through one, or you're about to go through one. And so today, uh, with the wisdom of James, we're going to walk through uh, what it means to truly have uh, joy in the journey uh, as we go about on our Christian walk. Uh, and the real cool thing is that this scripture passage in this book follows right along with what Pastor Craig talked about last week uh, with the stoning of Stephen and the uh, death of the first martyr. And, and so if you'll open your Bibles with me, uh, I pray you have them with you. If you open to the book of James, uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, and we are going to read uh, all five chapters. I'm just kidding. Um, we're just going to read the first 12 verses. Uh, so James 1.1, 1, 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in, in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not oppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation. 
and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also be the rich. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for this time and for this opportunity uh, to jump into your scripture, uh, for us to walk through the first part of James and just uh, learn what it truly means to have joy in this walk uh, that we are walking with you. So Lord, open up our hearts. May the words that I say today uh, bring glory to you uh, and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So as we start out, we have to look at you know, anytime we're going we're gonna to jump and, and dive through Scripture, we have to look at each verse uh, as best as we can and look at the first verse. Uh, because in the first verse, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greeting. And so it's at this verse that uh, last week's sermon and this week's sermon come together. Because last week, if you either weren't here or don't remember or or whatever, Pastor Craig talked about Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, we get the story of Stephen, the first martyr, the first person that was killed for his faith. Uh, And as a result of that one event, the church drastically changed. Because it's in that one event where at at that time, everybody was still pretty much centered in on Jerusalem. That's where the church was established. Uh, And that's where it stayed for the most part. Well, with the stoning of Stephen, persecution started. And if you remember in the story, all the coats were laid at the feet of a man named Saul, uh, who later becomes Paul. But Saul uh, felt his, his, uh, his calling in life was to get rid of this Christianity thing that had all of a sudden started. And so he began this this great persecution of believers at the time. And so everybody got out of Jerusalem. Everybody left. Uh, They were like, we're not sticking around for this. Uh, You know, we are are out of here. And so where James comes in is that um, he is writing to this dispersed church. So as all these people got out of Jerusalem, all these new believers, they get out of Jerusalem and they start establishing communities elsewhere around the globe. And speaking of trials and what God does through them, if, if Stephen had not been killed for his faith and the dispersion happened, the gospel would have not have gone to all the ends of the earth. It was because of that event that the gospel suddenly goes out from just Jerusalem to all the ends of the earth. It becomes a global happening at that point. And so James is writing to these people. James is writing to this, to this scattered church. And so, in verse 1, James, a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ, he is addressing his audience. So not only do we get who his audience is, we also get who the author is. And James... Um, we have to understand who James is. To understand the context of our study, we have to know who James is. 
because it is quite the story. See, James, it's not the James of James and John, sons of Zebedee. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, can you imagine his upbringing? You think you have problems with your brothers. Imagine if your brother was Jesus. It's like, why can't you be like your brother? Mommy's perfect. Oh, you're just saying that. No, really, he's perfect. Why don't you know the scriptures like he does? But mom, he wrote those scriptures. So, as you can understand, there may have been some animosity between brothers, and there's just something that James... He was not a follower of Jesus before Jesus died on the cross. Um, Once he saw the resurrected body of his brother, Jesus, he became a believer. I don't know if he was on the outskirts just listening. Uh, We have some evidence, and we'll talk about it later on, where where he was probably around for some of Jesus' teachings, uh, especially the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and he was just a quiet observer in the background. But maybe when he finally saw the resurrected body of Jesus, he was able to go, okay, I get it. I get what you're saying. I see what you're saying. You, whatever you said was true, and I fully believe it. And so at that point, he became a believer. And not only did he become a believer, we see in, in James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He jumped all in. He jumped in with both feet. Uh, He he jumped fully into his faith and and into the belief of what Jesus did for our sins and, and what Jesus did for him. And so he fully submitted to God. Um, and with that full submission, God used James to become an early leader in the church. Not only was he just a leader in the church, he became the pastor of essentially what became the first Christian church of Jerusalem. Now, scholars believe that James was was one of the first, if not the first, New Testament book written uh, chronologically. Uh, It's believed to have been written between 45 and 50 AD, uh, which is about 15 to 18 years before James uh, ultimately became a martyr himself and died for his faith. And what that date helps us to understand is the purpose of this letter. Um, We can see that he's writing to the 12 tribes in dispersion, uh, but he's writing to encourage them. Uh, He's writing uh, to to give them some, as their pastor, uh, he's writing to give them some encouragement. And so put yourself in James' shoes, uh, or sandals for this matter, Uh, He was there in a thriving church in a major city at the time. And then the persecution starts. In this one event where Stephen is now dead, all of a sudden his congregation leaves. They're gone. He no longer, uh, I'm sure there were still some people left. There was a remnant left. But they leave to go seek refuge elsewhere. However, he is still their pastor. He's still the one that has built relationships with these people. He saw these people go from no faith to faith. Um, When you read the book of Acts and you read how many people were added to their numbers each and every time, and and the first parts of that 
all of a sudden he's got this big congregation, he's built relationships, and, and he knows these people, he is still their pastor. And so James uh, for, you know, tries to keep up with, with what's going on. He, he probably uh, knows where they ended up and where they landed, but also what comes back is that uh, he hears of, of some not-so-good things going on. Yeah, they've moved and they formed groups and they formed churches where they went. But now he's getting word that, hey, they're, they're, a couple of groups may not be getting along as, as well as they were. But also he knows they're scared. I mean, here they are. They've, they've left everything for a faith that they now believe in, a new faith that they now believe in. So this letter is to be used for teaching, for correcting, and for comforting people uh, to this fairly new faith to them, or to this brand new faith for them, to a movement that's just getting started. And it's in this setting, and it's under this context that James begins, and we find ourselves to the first point in our outline today, and that's finding joy in the journey. And James Wright, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The NIV states, uh, consider it pure joy. When was the last time that you felt pure joy? For most of us, it's a feel the feeling of joy goes hand in hand with the best moments in our lives. When everything comes together and creates this perfect day or this perfect time. For some of us, it's our wedding day. For some of us, it's a birth of a child. I know some Braves and Bulldogs fans, you felt pure joy back in the fall, didn't you? And for Georgia Tech fans, got the Braves, so there you go. I'm sorry, couldn't resist. For most of us, for all of us, at some point along the way, we associate joy with our emotions and our circumstances. We equate joy with happiness. But James's view is different. For followers of Jesus, joy is not some emotion or feeling that is put up on a shelf and kept safe till all things come perfectly together and we believe that everything is as it should be. For James, joy should be felt in all occasions. It should be felt in good times and the bad. It should be felt when everything comes together perfectly and also when everything falls apart. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And so you may be sitting there thinking, Dave, you don't really know what I've gone through. I don't know if you understand the trials that I've gone through. And you're right. These words from James make us scratch our heads and go, joy? And trials? Trials are hard. Trials are tough. Trials hurt. Why would we ever consider trials to be a reason for joy? And you're absolutely correct. When we think of joy as the same thing as happiness, then it is different. And we can't understand. But James brings a different perspective. As we look at this difficult idea, we need to remember our context. We need to remember who our audience is. Who is the audience that James is talking to? These people have faced some trials. Now, we're not talking about these people have suffered the trial of having an Amazon package delayed or lost. 
We're not talking about these people had a flat tire on the side of the road at 100 degree temperature. The audience that James is writing to is a group of people whose lives have been turned upside down because of what they have believed in. These are people whose lives have been threatened because of their beliefs did not match with what the beliefs of the current culture were at the time. They left everything to follow what they believed to be true. Now James, their pastor and their friend, is telling them, count it all as joy. Be joyous as you go through these, uh, these circumstances. But why? Why should we be joyous all the time? Is it, it is because of what Christ is doing in us because of the trial. Look at verse 3 and 4. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Other translations say persevere or endurance. And let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect or finish its work that you may be perfect and complete. We can have joy in the journey because we know that God is not done with us yet. He is building us up for something bigger. He's building us up so that we are ready for the next thing. He is building us up so that we can be stronger in our faith and be ready for the next trial that may come along. He is building us up to be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, we all know that we are never fully done until we are with Jesus. God is always working on us, and we are never fully complete. We are never fully mature until we are standing at the feet of Jesus or kneeling at the foot of Jesus. But it is the process of getting there that God is preparing us for. And that's why we go through, uh, through trials. And let me be honest with you. I, I've picked up running, and I want you to know I hate it. Now, let me correct. I, I, I don't necessarily hate running. I hate the process of running. I love the results. I love that running and working out are going to put me in a position to live a healthier life and to be around longer for my children. I hate doing it. The first mile where my mind and my body fight on whether or not we should all turn back together. <laughs> but... I know that there's a reason for what I am doing and that most days I can appreciate the process and actually enjoy the running. Now, I enjoy it most when I'm done and actually catch my breath again. I realize I'm not going to die. Um, but uh, I believe when James talks about joy and trials, this is the idea he's talking about. No one likes going through the process of a trial. It stinks. It's terrible. It's not fun. And depending on the trial, is a constant battle between your heart and your mind on whether or not to give up or to keep pressing forward and moving on. Because we know that God has a plan and a purpose for this trial. Now, the lasting testimony that I have in my life is my mom. Um. She hated that she had cancer. She hated it for what it did to her. She hated it for what it did to her body. She hated the way it made her feel. But she always had hope. And she always had joy because she knew that God was not done with her yet. He had a plan and he had a purpose for all of it. And that is what James is trying to tell us in these first few verses. 
of his letter. Now, were there days where my mom was down? Yes. Were there days where she was discouraged? Absolutely. Those days when she'd walk out of the doctor and get and have just received more bad news? Yes, she was down. When the doctor once again wanted to put her on steroids, which did crazy things to her body, she was discouraged. But she was always able to find joy in the trials because she knew that God was building her up for something else. And that God is doing the same thing for us. God is using, God wants us to find joy in our trials because we know that there's something more out there. There's something bigger out there. And so as we are able to find joy in our trials, um, so we can be mature and complete and lacking in absolutely nothing. There is hope in trials because there is a reason for the trials. My goodness, what a way to start a letter. What a way to start a letter to the persecuted church. But James is not done. See, he starts with this big idea. Hey, find joy in the journey. Find joy all, all the various trials that you're going through. Because God is using it to build you up and make you stronger. And then he starts breaking it down to, to, to some individual things. Like how do we get there? Some of the practical things. So James starts out with the initial encouragement. But then he immediately comes back and he says, but wait, you're not alone in this journey. You have help. That comes, and it's a help that comes from God and God himself uh, and leads us to our next point today. As we find joy in the process of going through trials, we are finding joy in seeking help. We are finding joy in asking God for help. We're not going through these challenges alone. Even though the end goal is to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, verse 5 reminds us we are not there yet. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The ultimate goal is to lack nothing. But until then, seek God for help. Why? Well, as we continue in verse 5, because he gives generously to all without without reproach without any question, because you've asked for that wisdom, he's going to give it to you, and he's going to give it to you generously. Reminds us of Ephesians 5, that God gives over in abundance what we ask for, or even think. Let's understand, just like the joy that, that James talks about at the beginning, it's a joy that's not tied to emotions, and it's not tied to circumstances. This is not your normal wisdom. This wisdom he is writing about is not a speculative or a theoretical wisdom on a, on a philosophical system. This wisdom is the type that only God can give. This is the wisdom that, that Solomon desired. This is the wisdom that we read about in Proverbs, which is the result of God giving that wisdom to Solomon. As the Expositor's Bible Commentary states, it is the God-given understanding that enables a person to avoid the paths of wickedness, and to live a life of righteousness. Within this context, wisdom is understanding the nature and purpose of the trials and knowing how to meet them victoriously. So it's not a wisdom, it's, it's, it's not a head wisdom, it's a heart wisdom. It's an understanding of the trials that you are going through. It's more than just knowledge. 
James goes on to tell us that if we ask for it, God promises that he will give it to us. God is in the practice of giving generously to his children. We just have to ask. So if you are lacking in wisdom and understanding, ask God. He will give it to you, and he will give it to you generously. However, James follows up in verse 6 with a warning. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. James reminds his audience, hey, it's okay to ask for wisdom. God wants us to ask. He knows that we need understanding in this, and so at times we just got to step back and we have to say, God, I know that there's a reason for this, but I, I, just, I just need understanding. Help me understand. But James is reminding his audience, hey, do it with confidence, and he's going to give it to you. Don't doubt what you're asking for. That is like a boat tossed between the waves. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat that's tossed between the waves, but it's not, not a whole lot of fun. In fact, as I was reading this, I was reminded of a time with, uh, on our honeymoon when we were in Hawaii, we decided we were going to take a, take a boat ride off the Nepali coast, um, and the winds were uh, very much up that day. And so uh, the captain of the boat said, all right, if you are, you know, if you have motion sickness, if you tend, just make sure you keep your eye on the horizon and you'll be good. All right. Well, as we turned the corner, uh, the winds really kicked up and the, the boat would ride up, and slam down, ride up, slam down, and the water would, would go across the bow. And, and so... Uh, people all of a sudden, they didn't want to get wet anymore. So they just all went into this little covered area, which forced Danielle and I down into a part of the boat where we no longer could see the horizon. And so uh, we spent, because I'm a loving husband, I, did, I didn't get uh, motion sick, but my, uh, as the new supportive husband, Danielle and I spent a lot of time on the, on the back of the boat that day. Um, because we were tossed... Uh, to and fro because of the waves that were on the ocean. And James is saying, look, you don't want to be like that. It's not fun to be going back and forth and back and forth between doubt, between confidence and doubt. James is saying, when you pray, pray with confidence. Pray like you are in the engine room and asking the captain of your boat for the direction and plan for the journey as you navigate these stormy waters. Just give me the direction because I want to get to where I'm going. I want to get to where you have called me to go. But isn't this how we are with prayer? It always made me laugh that when I was in student ministry, we would always ask for big things, whether it was a certain youth would, would, that was lost would, would be able to go on the trip so they could get a glimpse of who Jesus was and, and come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or even something as we're, we've got a big outdoor event and we need and we see a big rain cloud coming at us. And we ask God, God, we, we need this event to happen. We know that people's lives will be changed if this happens. And so if you could just direct this cloud around us so that we can have this event. And then all of a sudden, the cloud would break up, it would go around and form on the other side and keep raining. But then we're always surprised when it happens. It's like... Didn't we ask God to do exactly that thing, and then it happens, and then we're always surprised? And so what James is reminding his audience is, he's like, look, 
ask for wisdom. God wants to give it to you. God wants to give it to you generously. But James is telling, but just do it with confidence. Do it like he is going to answer. Don't be split in where you believe that he will answer, and then you believe that he won't answer in the next breath. This just creates instability and doubt in your walk. It's kind of like what we see in cartoons sometimes where you have the little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other. Except on this shoulder we have confidence and on this shoulder we have doubt. And confidence is going, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And doubt is going, no, it's not. Indecisiveness negates our effectiveness in every area of our life, especially our prayer life. When we do doubt, because we will, because we're human, we're sinful, we still have that sinful nature within our hearts, even though uh, the, the spiritual nature that God has put inside of us is continually trying to grow, we will have doubts. And so we've got to be like the dad in Mark chapter 6. And if you're not familiar with the story, the dad in, in uh, Mark chapter 6 had a son uh, that had an evil spirit. And it would throw him on the ground and throw him into the fire and throw him into water and do all these things. And, and he brought him to the disciples and the disciples were like, I, we, can't, we can't do anything, we can't help you. Because they had doubt. And so the guy goes, brings, brings his son to Jesus. So after a little bit of rebuking of his disciples, Jesus goes, proceeds to heal a son. And if you remember what the dad said before that in Mark chapter 6, he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's praying with confidence. It's saying, God, I know you can do what you say you're going to do. I know that this trial is, is here for a reason. I know you're trying to build me up for something else down the road but please help my unbelief. Please help my doubts right now. It's that type of confidence that James is talking about. In finding joy in our journey with Jesus, we do have to find joy in the process of asking for wisdom and understanding what comes in that wisdom is an understanding that reality, that reality and, and reality that we are not here forever. And this is not our home. As James continues, we get a reminder that it is all temporary and, it, and we must find ourselves, to our third point of the day, finding joy in being humble. And this is our final point uh, today. Um, now, if we were to drop into James 1.9 and start reading, uh, one could make the argument that this passage is about rich or poor and, and that money is bad and poverty is good. But once again, we have to remember context. James has just told his readers about finding joy in our trials and seeking God for wisdom when we do not understand. And if we go down to verse 12, it picks right back up with talking about trials again. We can conclude that because of that context that James is using an illustration to help his readers understand the process of going through trials. He's also trying to wrap up this first section. He's trying to, to bring the reins in a little bit before he uh, goes from trials into temptations, which are two different things. Remember, 
James is not writing this letter just to encourage. He's also, trying, he's also writing to uh, correct some things that are going on in the congregation, but also to help squelch some fears that may be out there. Because we don't, we don't necessarily know what happened once they dispersed. We just know that they dispersed, and then they began to set up communities and, and go into other communities that were already there, establish churches and do things like that, because we have the letter from Paul that are written to a lot of these churches in Corinth and Ephesus and places like that. And so, so we, don't, we don't exactly know. It, it could be that some of the ones that moved out, they figured out, hey, this community I'm in now doesn't have said product that I had in Jerusalem that made my life great. So they figured out how to make that product and sell it, and they might have become very rich. But others, like I said, they left everything. And so they may have found themselves in a state of poverty. No home, no place to really go, but they knew they just had to get out of Jerusalem. And so as we continue in this letter, um, James is wanting to address some of those some of those issues. Um, and so on the surface, James seemed to be indicating that trials erase any superficial distinctions that may be thought to separate the rich brother from the poor one. Hey, we all go through trials. We're all there. Whether you got money or whether you got nothing, we're all going to go through trials. Trials are not limited to the poor, and they are not limited to just the rich. However, trials, based on what you are or where you are, can give us different perspectives. In verse 9, we have the poor man who's always suffered because of his economic status. He's a poor man without money. His relationship and his suffering for Christ's sake has, has, give, has given him the dignity and the identity and lifts him to a position of honor that more than offsets his poverty. And so let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He's being lifted up from nothing to, to standing for something. Then we have verse 10. The brother in verse 10, and, and there are some out there, some scholars that think that, that this is a non-believing brother, but if, if you go back and look at the language and, and look at how it's all worded, it just, James didn't feel the need to write brother in one, and then a couple of words later, write brother again. So it's, it's actually two believers. One's got money and one doesn't. Um, but uh, in verse 10, we have the other brother, the rich believer. For the rich believer, he has a different perspective than the poor follower. He's got everything that he needs. He's got the money to buy food. He's got a house to live in. He's got everything that he needs. But his life here on earth will fade away too. Even though he's got everything he needs here on earth, if when he went through persecution or, or when, he, when he goes through persecution or, or just went through persecution, everything will fade away. And it's not just talking about his money fades away. The man will fade away. Because ultimately, both these men will die. That's a fact of life. Whether you have money 
or whether you're poor, both men will die. And so James is reminding his, leader, his readers that life is temporary. We all end up in the same place, or we all end up with the same end. Suffering and persecution reveal how tentative and short life really is. It's like grass and flowers in the field in the middle of the day in the heat. They just fade away and wither and die. Like I said, James is not writing in this letter just to encourage, but he's also using this letter to give instructions and correction to his church. If you read further in, in James, the idea of being rich and having money comes up again. So James may be setting the stage for future stuff that's going to be written in this letter. In the context of these verses, James is possibly sending a shot across the bow and reminding his audience that life is only temporary. So if you're going through a trial, it's only temporary. If you haven't got to a trial yet, when you do, it's only temporary. It's only for a little while. So whether you're rich or you're poor, it will all fade away. So he finishes this section on trials with reminding his readers of the goal and reminding them of Jesus while he's at it. And so as he gets... As he, as he finishes up the little piece on rich and poor and that we all end up in the, with the same end, he finishes out the section in verse 12 reminding his readers of what our goal is, of why we're doing all of this. And he's also bringing a little bit of Jesus into it. And so he starts out in verse 12, Blessed is the man. Does that sound familiar? Sermon on the Mount, Anybody? So that makes me think that, that James, even though he may not have been a follower of Jesus when Jesus was here on earth doing his ministry, he was there in the background. He was listening intently. He was, he was listening to what Jesus had to say because here he is bringing up a little bit of Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. What a way to finish these set of verses. Remember the prize, people. Remember what you are doing this for. There is hope, so stand strong. Now, the Greek word used here for test uh, in verse 12 is one used for testing of metals and of coins uh, at the time. Uh, and it's really to test them to see if they're pure. Can I use this, this method of payment um, is it pure? Is it genuine? And so we go through trials to test our faith so that we can see if we are genuine in our faith. Does that make sense? Much like the process of certifying metals so that they can be used, perseverance under trial results in approval, and approval results in being able to finish the race and claim our prize like a crown. See, the word for crown here is not necessarily the crown that a king wears. It's a crown like you get when you win a race. It's, it's when you finish the race, you, you get this, this nice uh, little crown or this trophy to say, good job. Way to finish the race. Way to finish first. This is a reward we know 
we receive knowing we made it through the trial and we have approval from God that we stayed faithful in our walk with them, that we will make us more complete and prepared in our journey. Because this is not just some mediocre prize. This is something to say, hey, you did it. I know that trial was tough, but you stayed true. You stayed genuine to your faith. You walked in your faith, and you here you are on the other side. Good job. Good job. So let's keep going. Let's keep going on in our journey. Let's keep doing what I've asked you to do as to continue to mature and grow your faith. So what do we do with all this? What does it mean for us to have joy in the journey? James's message to the first century church is the same message that he gives to us. And I kind of paraphrase it to, to close us out today. Consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials of any kind. They are to build you up and make you stronger so that you can be full in your faith. If you don't understand and need wisdom, ask God. He will give it to you because that's how generous he is. But ask for it in faith. Ask for it in confidence. Ask like it is going to happen so you aren't easily pushed around by everything going on around you. Remember, life is short. For the one who is poor, he will be exalted. For the one who is rich, he will feel defeated. But we will all go through trials, and all our lives are like grass and flowers that burn up in the hot sun. But remember, there is a prize at the end. For those that stand strong and persevere, there is a trophy waiting on them because that is what God has promised us. And all this leads to my sermon and a sentence today. We must find pure joy in the journey we are on because we know that God uses trials to build, a, to build in us a faith that will become mature and complete, and we have a promise that our perseverance will be rewarded greatly and eternally. So bow with me in prayer. Uh, Father God, we do thank you for uh, the opportunity to just be in your word today. Uh, and the encouragement that we get from James is the same encouragement uh, that your followers can still have today. That, Lord, you do provide trials. Uh, you do provide moments in our faith to help us grow. To help us find footing. To help us move on to the next step that you have in our faith journey. And so as we've been able to uh, look at this encouragement today, Father, I thank you. But now we're entering into this time of invitation, uh, this time of, of thinking and thoughts and, and, and um, meditation to where we focus on, on what are you calling us to do? For those of us that have, have been through trials, we thank you for bringing us through those trials and for making us a, a, a more devoted follower of you. For those of us that are in trials now, Lord, we seek wisdom. We ask that you help us, help us understand. And for those of us about to go through trials, we ask that you build us up and get us ready. But Father, during this 
time of invitation, this time of, of meditation, uh, we ask that you search our hearts. Help us see you. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.